Good. Good morning, everyone. It is a, a real privilege to, to be here this morning to, to be sharing with you as we do continue our series, which we have started a couple of weeks ago, working our way through the book of Galatians. And we've called this series Free to Follow. And it is a book which is all about this theme of freedom. It's something that is throughout the, the letter this idea that we are indeed free. And it's a book that is all about the gospel. It's been so wonderful already this morning to be, to be singing about that gospel, that good news, as Marcus said at the start, of what Jesus has done for us. And in the book of Galatians, we see that Paul is contending for this gospel, for this good news that he is passionate about, that he wants to make sure that this church in Galatia have, have got right. Because unfortunately, they, they haven't got it fully right. There's been people that have come in and distorted the gospel, that are trying to change the good news of what Jesus has done. In, in the case of the, in the book of Galatians, it's circumcision. They're being told that in addition to the work of Christ, they also need to be circumcised. They also need to add circumcision to what Jesus has done. So this morning, we're going to be exploring how this good news has been distorted, how it can be destroyed, and in order that we can revel in the true gospel of what Jesus has done for us. So if you could turn in your Bibles, if you've got them, or use your phone, to the book of Galatians. It's also going to be up on the screen as well. We're going to be reading from chapter 1, verses 6 to 12. Okay. Paul writes, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ, and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? For if I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I'll just pray for us as we uh, explore this more, Lord. Thank you so much that we do have wonderful good news, that we have been made clean that we have had all our sins taken away, that we have been made white as snow. And thank you for the amazing gospel and the good news that we have in Jesus. And I pray that you would be with us this morning, 
that you would help us to understand how it can be distorted so that we can indeed delight in the good news of what you have done for us. Amen. So we're going to, as we unpack this, explore three aspects that that I'd like to look at. So the first of these is looking at confronting the issue. I don't know how you feel about confrontation. You might be someone who would describe yourself as confrontation-averse. You're not very forthcoming when it comes to challenging people and bringing a bit of confrontation. You might love a bit of healthy confrontation. Maybe you're the kind of person who, when you're in a restaurant, if the food's taking a little bit longer, you're going to let the waiter know. Maybe when your friend does that, you just want to disappear into a hole in the ground because you just feel really uncomfortable. Um, I used to think I wasn't very confrontational, and then I had to get married and realize that maybe I was a little bit more confrontational than I first thought. And uh, a couple of um, years ago, my lovely wife uh, got me to do something, a bit of a personality test. I don't know if you maybe have done a personality test before. I don't know what you might, you might think they're great. You might think I'm not wanting to be put into a box. But often there are these different personalities that you can t- do to find out a little bit more about yourself, so that you can be that little bit more self-aware and see what how you relate to other people. And Jen got me to do one called an enneagram. Has anybody done an enneagram before? There's a, a few of you. There's a an Enneagram. There's a website that you can go on and it does a survey and it gives you all of these different questions that you have to answer and rate from a scale of one to five to find out what of nine personality types you are. And I did this Enneagram a little bit begrudgingly, I have to admit, and I, I, I put all the answers in and it came back that I was personality type eight. Some of you are laughing because you know what that means already, maybe. Personality type 8 means you're a challenger. So, of course, I immediately looked at this and thought, this can't be right. This is a load of rubbish. I don't think this Enneagram thing is any good. And then I suddenly thought, hang on a minute. That's exactly what a challenger would say. (laughs) But it it is important in life to have a, a healthy amount of challenge. I don't want to be challenging all the time. That would not be very good for my marriage. But a healthy bit of challenge is important. There's a healthy balance to have. In society, sometimes we can be quite cautious about challenging things, cautious about calling things out that we know might be wrong, because we can be afraid of the consequences. What would that person think about me? Will, and what, will I be come across as being intolerant? We live in a very tolerant society, don't we, until we come across someone who doesn't agree with our tolerance, and then we can become very intolerant of that. Paul is not afraid for a bit of challenge, as we've seen in the words that we've just read. He is not afraid to be confrontational at times, it seems here. He's willing to confront the issue. Paul is not tolerant when people he loves are being told lies about God. 
because he ultimately knows that those lives will hurt them and not do them good. He's in somewhat of emotional distress. He's really quite concerned here. It's not an emotional tirade. As we'll see as we work through the rest of the book, he's beginning here a carefully constructed argument, a defense of the good news of what Jesus has done. So we see in verse 6, he says words like, astonished, I am astonished that you have so quickly deserted him. He's not, in, this is only verse 6 as well. He's not kind of done his usual long friendly greeting, an easy transition into the subject of his letter. He's getting straight in there. He's saying, I'm astonished. He goes on to use phrases like, let, let them be accursed. This is strong language. Why is he using such strong language here? Why is he so strong on this? Why is he challenging? First of all, it's personal what's happening here. In verse 6, we can see they are deserting a person. It's not just a worldview that they've changed their minds on. It's not a theological position that they've switched. They're deserting a person. A person who has called them. A person who has chosen them and said, I choose you, I call you. We have been called by a person. We haven't just chosen a a worldview that fits quite nicely with where I'm at at life in the moment. We've been called by a person. Paul also uses the words so quickly. You have deserted so quickly the gospel you've been called to. And I can relate to this a little bit because I can sometimes forget things and move away really quickly. I can sometimes go upstairs and forget why I was there. Anybody else? (laughs) What did I come up there for again? But... Also, I can sometimes lose sight of the good news of what Jesus has done for me really quickly. I can, these truths that I know are so important that I sing about on a Sunday morning every week, sometimes in the week, other things can become really big in my head. There's distractions out there that can make me quickly forget the good news and apply it to my life. Martin Luther, who wrote... lots of commentaries, but one on the book of Galatians, amongst many other things, said this, I know how often I suddenly lose the beams of the gospel and grace. It is as though thick, dark clouds obscured them from me. So I know about the slippery place in which we stand, even if we are experienced and seem to be sure-footed in matters of faith. So as we see, this good news is being distorted. It's being changed. And Paul is saying that that it's now becoming a a different gospel. And he's saying it's, it's the gospel that matters, not the person 
who is delivering it. He says that, actually, even if I came and delivered a different gospel, let me be accursed, because the gospel is more important than me. He's saying even, even if an angel from heaven was to come and deliver a, a different gospel, let them be accursed. The good news is more important than a person. And we have to be careful not to be impressed by people who might seem like they've got a bit of a following, who might try and distort things, just like these people were coming and distorting the gospel of grace. There's loads of stuff out there. And we can see videos with lots of likes, channels on YouTube with lots of subscribers and views. But we've got to be careful about what we're listening to, what, what we're following, and recognize that actually it's the message that's most important, not the number of YouTube followers. We're going to see how Paul is defending the good news in the, in the book of Galatians here, in this, in this chapter. So what is it that he is defending? What is the good news? We worship a God who is not angry, who is not distant, who is not far off. As we've seen, we worship a God who is, is personal, who loved us so much that he sent his son to die in our place, that he provided the means of our salvation through Jesus because he wants to have and enjoy a relationship with us. He's done it. Our debt has been paid. We have been made clean. It's finished. It's done. And it's for everyone. And this would have been more significant maybe for the early church as, we, as it is for us now, because that would have been radical, this idea that this good news is not just for the Jews, not just for a select group of people. This good news is for everyone, and that is what Paul is passionate about. That is why he is arguing so strongly, because he has received this good news himself. The gospel is literally awesome. It's precious. It's to be guarded and treasured. We need to come back to it and delight in it every day. So what is the distortion? What is actually happening here? I mentioned earlier about this idea of circumcision, that they're turning to a different gospel, that idea that they are adding to the work of God. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, it says that they nullify or set aside the grace of God. They're adding circumcision as a necessity for salvation alongside the work that Christ has already done. It's making the death of Christ pointless. In Galatians 5, verse 2 to 4, it says, If you're adding to Christ, then he's ceasing to be your saviour. It says Christ will be of no value to you at all. So grace, the undeserved favour of God that Goff spoke so brilliantly about a couple of weeks ago, is being undermined. 
as they make Christ a partner in self-salvation. And this is a theme that we will be coming back to lots of times throughout this series, because it's what the whole book is addressing. It's about protecting against the distortion of grace and the loss of the gospel. And it's an issue of freedom, that theme, being free to follow, that we are called for freedom. If we're feeling like we have to add something out else to the work that God has done for us, then we can end up not living in freedom. Ultimately, it's questioning the finality of what Jesus has already done, that the verdict is already in. Now, you'll have to forgive me. I'm going to do another football analogy. If you're not a fan of the beautiful game, I apologize. But hopefully, this will make sense. There are three letters that, if you do follow a football team, might fill you with dread. It's true, they will. I've been there. But V-A-R. Has anybody heard of V-A-R before? Video assistant referee. Now, the way that V-A-R works is that it's checking the decisions that the referee, the on-field referee on the pitch, is making. It's making sure that the referee's decisions are correct. So when this first came in, everyone thought, brilliant, great, and there's going to be, it's going to be really fair now. There can be no mistakes. We won't get anything wrong. It's turned out to be more controversial than ever. Turns out, even with replays, mistakes can still be made. But imagine the scenario. The team that you're supporting has scored a last-minute winner in the cup semi-final. The crowd go wild. Everyone's celebrating on the feet. The manager, Pep Guardiola maybe, has sprinted down the touchline with his hands in the air. We're through. We've made it to the final. The referee's given the goal. The seconds left on the clock. We're through. And then the dreaded words come up on the screen of the football stadium. VAR check in process. There's a collective groan in the crowd as they realize, hang on a minute, this decision that the referee has made might not be the final decision. And there's this awkward couple of minutes where the, some guys in a studio somewhere with loads of television screens in front of them are watching and watching over and over again a particular clip to see if the the decision that the referee has, has made is the correct one. And then it comes in. Decision made, no goal. Everyone's hands on their heads. They can't believe it. And it's, people are saying it's, it's ruining the game because what happens is you, can, you don't quite know if you can fully celebrate. There's a little bit of tentativeness. Yes, we've scored, but is it, is it going to be okay? Is the check going to go through? Is the check going to be complete? It is not like that with Jesus' victory. Jesus' victory is final. His decision is final. There is no need to go back, to re-watch, to analyze, and think, oh, but 
What about that thing that I did the other day that I know I shouldn't have done? What about that thought that I had? Does that change the decision? No. The decision is final. It is finished. It is done. We don't need to replay things over and over again. We don't need to be introspective and and worry about what we've done in terms of our salvation. Because what we can do is we can end up putting ourselves back on trial. We can think, I messed up again. Maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe we have a fear of being disqualified. We think, well, if I work really hard at this, if I read my Bible every day, if I spend lots of time in prayer, then, then maybe I'll be okay. Maybe we can struggle to forgive ourselves or others for things that have happened in the past. We can end up when we're doing this, losing sight of the gospel of grace, that we have been saved by faith alone. And it's something that we we need to do. I, I, I know it happens in my head. I need to keep coming back to it again and again and again to revisit it regularly. Because what can end up happening is we can end up quietly trying to confirm God's not guilty verdict through our own contribution. We can get this gospel amnesia. We can maybe lose sight of the gospel of grace when we're fearing the consequences of man in the workplace. When we're worrying about, what is he going to say about this thing that I've done? This work, is it good enough? Worrying about the boss's reaction. Looking for their approval. Maybe we can lose sight of the the gospel of grace when we receive that subtle dig, that critical comment, a snub from somebody that can send us reeling. And we need to come back and remember who we are. Maybe it might be in the morning, stepping onto the weighing scales and looking for a number on that scale that's going to tell you that you're worth loving, that's going to tell you that you're okay, that you deserve love. As we've said before, maybe struggling to to really forgive yourself about things from the past and disqualifying yourself. Worrying about what other people might think about the way you're parenting and what judgments they might be making. Losing the gospel of grace. I can relate to a lot of these things. These are things that I've felt at times. And I, as I said, need to keep going back to the gospel of grace. These things, they can be really tough. They can be agonizing when you've got these thoughts in our, going through your minds. They can become big. It can become a real battle, a real choice a real decision that you have to make every day to say, no, I'm not going to let that thing define me. I'm going to let the finished work of God define me. Maybe deep down there's just that sense of inadequacy. I can feel that sometimes. Just feeling that we don't quite measure up 
We can look at other people around us and think, oh, they're so impressive. I don't quite measure up to them. And we can have this void that we might try to medicate through finances, through having a secure job, through appearance, through the number of likes on social media, from status in society, maybe the appearance of intelligence, being the, the smartest or funniest person in the room. We can end up seeking to be clothed by accomplishments rather than the saving grace of God. So this is linking back to what we're seeing in Galatians. It's a way of trying to add to the finished work of God and not recognizing that the decision is final. Madonna, a famous singer who had all the attention, all the fame, all the riches, all the popularity, anyone you could wish for. One of the most successful singers of all time. Maybe, you know, not as successful as Taylor Swift. I do quite like listening to, to Taylor Swift. But she is still a very successful person. And actually, she did an interview with Vogue magazine. And she said something really quite insightful. I'm going to read it to you now. She said, My drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre, a fear of being mediocre that is always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. But then I feel I'm still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. It's incredibly insightful, isn't it? It demonstrates the captivity that we can sometimes live in. And we can try to accomplish something, to give ourselves a verdict to say that we are somebody. But it's never satisfied, and we can get in captivity to it. And I can find, I don't know about you, that I find myself on this kind of upwards, downwards curve of, of how am I doing at the moment. I might be on a real high, thinking, yeah, I've had loads, done loads of quiet times this week, read my Bible loads, I'm in a really good place, and I can start to feel that bit of pride creeping in. Or maybe... I haven't opened my Bible for, since last Sunday. And we can feel, oh, I feel that condemnation creeping in. We can just spend our life either in one place or the other. And it's no way to live. It can lead to anxiety. It can wreck your mental health. So how can we break this cycle, this way of thinking? Do we just accept that's the way it is? No. We can enjoy gospel freedom. Because the true gospel, what Paul is contending for in this letter, changes everything. And if you want to, to grow in Christ, 
you must never graduate beyond the gospel. It's the sustaining reality of our inner life. It's not just the door to our Christian life. It's the living room. We have to stay in it. We have to revisit it. It's not just, right, I've heard the good news. I've believed it for myself. Tip, on to the next thing. What's next? What have I got to do? I've got to start, sign up for a course somewhere or um, start working on my growth as a Christian. I mean, don't get me wrong. These are all good things. We want people to be serving. We need to be loving our city and loving the people around us, doing the work that God has called us to. But it's about our motivation, where we're doing it from a, what we're doing it from a place of. So staying in the good news is the way we grow as a Christian. Remembering that gospel. Being seated in the knowledge of what Jesus has done for us. And in, through that, we're able to be more loving and more Christ-like as we remain content in the finished work of Jesus. Hebrews 12, a very famous verse in Hebrews 12 says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. A Scottish preacher, Robert Murray McShane, said, for every one look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, said, a single view of Christ will do you more good than pouring over your own wounds for a month. That's how we grow. We hold on to this gospel. It's how we avoid these impressive-sounding people that might try and come in and distort things, or these ideas that might come into our head that we've got to add something more by staying in the good news of what Jesus has done. In verse 10 of the passage we've read, Paul says, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. These are rhetorical questions, right? He's not actually saying, he's not really looking, he knows, we know the answer. Is he, is he trying to please people? No. He's not trying to please people. It's the context of the strong language that we saw earlier on. It's why he's able to, to say these words. I'm so astonished. If anyone's distorting the gospel, let them be accursed. He's doing that from a place of not being worried about pleasing people. It doesn't mean he doesn't care. If, he, if Paul didn't care, he wouldn't have written the letter in the first place. He does care very much, but he's not looking for their approval it's not what's most important to him. He's, he's got his priorities the, the right way around. For Paul, Christ is his ultimate master. He's a servant of Christ. It's Christ that dictates to him. Christ that he follows, not people. 
He's got his priorities the right way around. And in, we see another example of this when he writes to the church in Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 to 4, he says something really quite radical. He says, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. This is radical. He's literally saying, I don't really care what you think, and even more than that, I don't care what I think. I don't even judge myself. He's stopping connecting every single experience with himself. That's what gospel humility is. That's what Paul is demonstrating here. Recognizing that Jesus has done it all. He's not looking to other people or even to himself for the verdict. He's not putting himself back into the courtroom and starting the trial all over again. Because what he's found, what he's looking for, what Madonna was looking for, is an ultimate verdict of importance and value. And a proper understanding of the gospel allows us to step out of this courtroom. For Paul, the secret is that the trial is over. And that's the gospel. That's why the good news he's received is so important to him. Because he knows he's out of the courtroom. It is done. It is finished. The ultimate verdict is in. He's been made clean. And now he's able to perform. And now I am able to perform on the basis of this verdict. Because I'm loved and accepted in Christ. I don't have to do things to, to look good. I can do them for the joy of doing them. The verdict can give you the performance. How? How can this be? Because Jesus Christ went on trial instead. He took the condemnation that we deserve. He faced the trial that should have been us in our place so that we don't have to face any more trials. And all we need to do is ask for his acceptance because of what the Lord has done for, for us. The only pe a person whose opinion really counts looks at you and says, you are more valuable than all the jewels on earth. You are someone that is worth going to the cross and dying for so that I can have a relationship with you. It's wonderful news. We've been set free. We no longer have to put ourselves back into the courtroom. 
Do you need to know this grace of God this morning? This undeserved favor that he loves you because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you, not because of anything that you can bring to the table. I wonder if there's some people this morning who are hearing this and thinking for the first time that this good news, that this gospel, that Jesus loves me, not because of what I've done, that he chooses me, that he's called me, is something that that you want to, to know for yourself, that you want to accept for yourself. If that's you, I'd love to chat to you in the prayer room after the service and pray with you. Maybe you're, you're sitting here and you're, some of these things that we've mentioned can relate to. You can feel yourself being sucked back into the courtroom. Do you need to know that the grace of God, this freedom of self-forgetfulness, that it's not about me, it's about what Jesus has done. If that's you, we, just to encourage you, we need to relive this gospel every day. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He says, you are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. Maybe if the band could start to come back up, that would be really great. The, the third thing that I just wanted to say, something that I felt God put on my heart when I was praying about this morning, is this struggle with comparison. It's something that I know I've found before. This idea of trying to measure yourself with how you're doing compared to other people. Again, if that's you, then I'd love to, to pray with you. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us all as we move into a time of worship. Why don't we, if you want to respond to any of that, that you want to know that gospel, that good news of what Jesus has done for you, if you want to say, I'm not going to get sucked back into the, the courtroom anymore, I'm not going to compare myself with other people. If you just want to delight and enjoy that good news, that idea that we never graduate from the finished work of Jesus, and why don't you stand? And I'll, I'll pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you did indeed go on trial in our place. That you went like a lamb to the slaughter, silent, taking the punishment that we deserve for our sins, for the wrong things that we have done. Thank you for your amazing grace that undeserved favor, that we don't have to 
do anything to make ourselves right with you. Thank you that we can just rest and enjoy the finished work of what you have done. And Lord, I pray for people who are feeling like they're going back into the courtroom, that they're putting themselves on trial, that they're going back and analyzing and feeling that they need to do something to, to add to the finished work. I pray, make your gospel real to them today, that we might revisit and go back to that good news of what you have done for us. Yeah, Holy Spirit, just come. We welcome you here this morning. We welcome your presence. Come and minister to us. Come and touch us. Come and reveal your kindness, that loving kindness to us. We pray. Mike and the band are just going to lead us in a, in a song which will just help us to, to respond to this.